Amen. Welcome again to Bible Center. I trust your heart has been warm like mine has. I love the synergy. I love the singing. I love the music. I love the worship. I thanks so much for worshiping with all of your heart. Notice how the words uh, just intertwine with the book of Colossians. Uh, they're just woven together. I love how our worship pastors are weaving the services together. Again, thanks for being here. We also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Stephen tells me that every week uh, several hundred or more join us online around the country, folks not able to make it out or maybe on vacation, so we want to welcome uh, you as well. I've asked Pastor John to join me here at the front. We're going to pray. Take a, take a moment, a good moment for us to pray, uh, not only for our friends in Texas, but all those in, in Florida as well right now. Um, either hunkering down or trying to get out at the last minute. And so I would ask as John prays that you pray for them as well. Let's be a family that prays together. And as we're praying for them, also pray for safe return for our GO team, uh, returning from Togo, West Africa, the first wave uh, that went. They're coming back today. I think they've landed. They're in D.C. and be flying back later today. So, John, will you lead us in prayer? Yeah, how many of you have family or friends that are affected today and it's on your heart this morning. Yeah, I figured there were a lot of us. Um, I'm in the same, same boat with you. Lots of family and friends and lots of text messages that are coming in. Uh, and so um, we have a God who's sovereign. We have a God who's powerful. Uh, and he's not sleeping right now. And so let's approach his throne uh, of grace uh, with intent on their behalf. Uh, and so I'd ask you just kind of where you're seated. Uh, many times the posture of our, our body uh, can help shape the posture of our heart. And so if, if you're willing, maybe you just extend your hands like this as a dependent sign uh, mm -hmm. to the Lord, as a surrender sign, uh, to just welcome Him into this space this morning. Let's pray together. God, many hearts are heavy today, even here, uh, for those of us that are not in the path of the storm, and so much more for those that are many that have been displaced and evacuated and are not sure of what they're even going to return to in the next few days. And also those that have stayed and remained and are, and are directly in the path of this storm right now, we know that you're the God of the wind and the waves. And so we ask that you spare people and lives, places, but we also trust you we lean on your goodness and your love. And we depend on that in moments like this. So we ask that you give us an abiding sense of that trust, an abiding sense of peace that you're in control. No matter what, may the outcome be. We pray for those that are returning from Togo, even as we speak as well. Grant them safety of travel. I pray that you would take these moments and that you would use them to shape us more and more like Christ. And we'll give you the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, bro. I'd like to begin this morning by introducing you to a friend named Mac. I've known Mac for a little over a year. Uh, but this is a picture of Mac from March 2015. Several of you may know him, been in the community for a long time. And Mac, before uh, 2015, was taking 160 units of insulin a day plus pills. He told me this week he was depressed, unhealthy, 
And his cardiologist was warning him of his family history. Both of his grandpas had had heart attacks in their late 50s, and his mom and his dad had both had heart attacks around the same age. I ran into Mac again at the Charleston Distance Run last week and got to talk with him extensively, and he shared more of his story, and it inspired me so much, I thought it might inspire you. Mike to- or Mark, or Mac told me that uh, the doctor had encouraged him to have surgery that would limit his food intake. After his surgery, he started a Couch to 5K program just two years ago with Matt Young, who runs the Genesis program. Matt's sister attends our church. She may be in here this morning. And it wasn't long that he and his wife, Debbie, began to experience a lot of transformation uh, in their bodies, but really in their whole lives. Uh, He told me that this is a picture of him now, having lost 146 pounds, no insulin. He's now run 55 Ks, two half marathons, uh, the Charleston Distance Run, and he is now, two years later, on the Charleston Distance Run Committee. And I see him in the, in the audience. He can get mad at me if he wants. But, Mac, would you stand with your wife, Debbie? Let's give Mac a hand for his hard work. Thanks, brother. You can pay me back later for that. I asked him via Facebook this week after seeing him. I said, Mac, what would have happened had you not taken the first step? What would have happened? And this is what he wrote. He said, without a doubt, I would be either dead or close to it on a downward health spiral. Anyone can slow or stop the health slide. Matt Young's Genesis program has proven that to many. A person does not need to be a runner. They just need to move. Running a mile and walking a mile burn about the same calories. I just saw my cardiologist last month, and he did not recognize me. He actually hugged me. I loved that. We asked the question, what would have happened had Mac not taken his first step? And I want to ask you the same question this morning. What would happen if you don't take any more steps to grow spiritually in 2017? What would happen if you don't grow spiritually anymore for the next year? What would 2018 look like for you? What kind of hope would you have? What kind of confidence would you have? What kind of habits might you still have? What kind of faith would be down in the depths of your soul if you took no more steps? Well, this morning, I'm going to encourage you to take a step. Not ten, not five. I'm going to encourage you just to take one step through this message. And we're going to look at what it means to grow spiritually, what it means to walk in the will of God, I'm going to tell you from this passage this morning what the will of God is for your life, and then we'll finish by encouraging us all to take one spiritual step. Let me invite you to open your Bible or your Bible app with me. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. I'll ask you to stand with me out of respect for God's Word. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. The Bible says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, For all endurance and patience with joy, 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As you follow along in your notes or on the app, we printed the first question for our contemplation, and that is, what is God's greatest desire for me? What is God's greatest desire for me? And the answer is here in our text. It's simply that we will live for his will and not our own, that we will live for God's will and not our own. The Apostle Paul is telling the church at Colossae uh, how he's praying for them. He's telling them, this is my main prayer for you. And in verse number nine, he frames the next five verses. Really, verses nine through 14 in the original language are all one sentence, one continual sentence. And he says in verse nine, everything I'm about to tell you relates to God's will for your life. I want God's will to be experienced in a fuller way, in a, in a richer way, as you walk and you live for him. Think about the things that we typically pray for. I know I typically pray for a good day. I pray for relationships. I pray for health. I pray for safety and travels. These are all great things to pray for. But the Apostle Paul, when he prayed for the early church, he prayed that they would know and experience the will of of God. You can picture Paul praying for these things as he's putting tents together. He was a tent maker. Imagine as he stitches up the tents and he's thinking about all of his churches that he loves and cares for. And he prays for the church at Colossae, God help them to know your will. So we ask the question, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? Well, if you've spent any time at all in church, you've probably heard a message uh, somewhere along the line on God's will. Growing up, I heard messages about ways to discover God's hidden will for your life. And we in church can get really weird about this. You know, the messages almost seem to indicate, at least they did for me, that only the really spiritual people, the religious elite, could know God's will for their life. And I recall camp sermon after camp sermon, people telling us, well, if you'll pray this prayer and if you'll think this way and if you'll read this many verses every day, God will reveal to you his mysterious will for your life. And I remember thinking as I heard messages like that, because usually they came with a warning, right? Like if you don't do these things, if you don't stand on one foot, hop three times, you won't know God's will for your life. And I remember thinking, well, I'm going to miss it. I don't want to miss God's will, but then if you ever th really th stop to think about it, that's kind of uh, impossible, because what happened if your great-great-grandpa missed God's will? Then it doesn't really matter how much you try to do whatever the preacher says to do, you're going to miss it, because it was missed generations earlier. So this is not what Paul is talking about. This isn't, should I go to Starbucks today, or should I go to Panera Bread? This is much, this is deeper, this is fuller, this is much more important as he calls the church to walk and live a life worthy of the Lord. He summarizes the will of God in verse 10 when he says, 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walking was a familiar term for the Jews. In the Old Testament, the word was used over and over again. Uh, the Jews, even after the Old Testament uh, was written, they had a document called the walk. In the Hebrew, it's translated in English called the walk. And they said, this is how you walk in the Jewish tradition. This is how you apply the law to your life. But Paul says, no, walk like Jesus. Look at Jesus in the Gospels and live like him. So what is God's will for you? Well, first of all, it's God's will for us that we continually know him. That we continually know him. In verse 9, Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. We'll talk about that in a minute. And here it is again, increasing in the knowledge of God. Number one, it is God's will that you continually know him. The false teachers in this city were evidently tempting the church, making them think there was some higher knowledge, some mysterious knowledge that they didn't know unless they heard their philosophies. And so they were tempting the church to, to do some strange rituals, perhaps, and, and read some strange philosophy. And the Apostle Paul plays on this word. He knew that they were being tempted. He had heard the report from Epaphras, and he writes back and he says, yes, you need more knowledge. He even uses the same word they use. He says, you need a, a higher knowledge, but the knowledge you need is about God. More knowledge about God, not knowledge of mysterious philosophy. And the same is true with us today. God invites us to a higher knowledge but it really all it is is more knowledge about who he is. I love this quote. This is really the, the summary or the key to Christian growth. We do what we do because we think what we think. We think what we think because we believe what we believe about God. Now we'll think about that for a minute. We do what we do because we think what we think. We think what we think because we believe what we believe about God. God. Let's put it into practice. If we find ourselves not very loving, I know none of you have ever felt that way, but if you've ever found yourself not very loving, not very forgiving, not very graceful towards somebody who's maybe legitimately done you wrong, right now is about the time some of you are elbowing the person sitting beside you. If you've ever been tempted with that, even once, What's, what is God's invitation to that? Is the invitation for us, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You just need to get more loving. Why? You need to make yourself more loving. Let me say that will never work. That's called moralism. There's no way you can just change external behavior and make it work. But the way God transforms us is by thinking about his love. Remember the verse that says, we love him because why? He first loved us. So the remedy isn't for me to go leave the service today and say, okay, I am going to make myself more loving. No, the remedy is to meditate on God's amazing love for me 
And then I'll be able to show that grace and that forgiveness and that mercy towards others in my life. What about patience? You ever been impatient with somebody? You know, I thought I was a really patient person until I had kids. I really did. And, and then now you have kids and you realize you're not quite as spiritual as you think you are. Or if, if it's not kids for you, maybe it's your particular job. You thought you were patient until you took that particular job or you entered that particular school or whatever it is for you. God will bring things along to test your patience. Now, I, I say it lovingly. I'm learning in a house full of women and a house full of beautiful daughters that I have to be all in listening to their stories, all in. And this week, several occasions, I remember just like zoning out or getting impatient with stories that were being told. And you know what? They know when you're not listening. And they tell you, by the way, when you're not listening. And I found even this week my impatience infecting, affecting other people. How do we become more patient? It's not by leaving the service today and saying, I'm going to be more patient. No, it's by meditating on the fact that God has been patient and believing that God has been patient with you. And when we see the person of God, it gradually transforms us from the inside out. I think of this a lot like the roots of dandelions in my yard. This isn't a picture of my yard, but it looks a lot like my yard in the spring. The goal for my yard work is not to be the Jed Clampett of my neighborhood. That's my only goal. I'm not trying to win any awards. I just don't want to be the guy whose yard looks the worst. And I've got two great neighbors. They're great guys, but they, they've hired the same guy to mow their grass. And I just refuse at a principle to hire somebody to mow my grass. One day I may, I may cave. I tell myself every time I mow my grass, I'm going to cave. But it's about being West Virginian. I've got to still mow my grass. But they hire this guy who mows it. I think he mows it like every three days. You know? And so like my yard starts to get long, and theirs looks like a golf course. And so in the spring, I go out and I buy the, the halts. Uh, you get it from Lowe's, and you spray it all around the yard. It's supposed to kill the dandelions. My yard looked really, really good for several months. But I noticed this week that I've got some dandelions starting to come back up, so it's time to get out the, the spreader again. How do you kill dandelions? It's not by just mowing them over. It might look good for a day. You've got to get down to the root. And how do we grow spiritually? It's not by leaving a service and plastering a smile on our face, but it's by doing the hard work and getting in with God and learning who God is, and slowly He changes us from the inside out. This is a process. God invites us to continually know Him. Number two, He invites us to continually show Him. We see it in verse 10. Verse 10 is intertwined with verse 9. He says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, that's God, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Number two, what is God's will for our lives? That you show Him after or as you know Him. In verse 10, he uses a fruit metaphor. 
He says, bear fruit. In the Bible, that's uh, it's saying evidence. Give evidence. You, how do you know if a vine is really alive? How do you know if a tree is really alive? Well, it bears fruit. And so here he says, bear fruit that you know God through good works. He invites us to live out our faith by the way we live. Both are important. Now, in our tradition of church, we believe, and the Bible clearly teaches, that we are not saved by works. Ephesians 2.89 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. So we believe it's not by works. But in 15 years of pastoral ministry, here's what I believe our version of Christianity has done. Sometimes I think we've swung the pendulum so far the other way that we say, yes, we're not saved by works, but we forget to emphasize works. Yesterday, Michelle Thompson, while teaching in our new membership class, her session was on serving and doing good works, and she brought up a great point that I just had to fit into the sermon. She said, and she says, we quote Ephesians 2.89 that it's not by works, but we forget verse 10. Verse 10 says, but we are created We are God's workmanship created for good works. God didn't save us just so we can brag on our salvation. God saved us to be a renewed people. We're going to see this theme throughout the book of Colossians that God is creating a a new creation. Ultimately, it's going to end up in the book of Revelation. At the end of time, he's going to make all things new. But in Colossians 1, he says that starts with you and me. And the new creation doesn't just sing amazing grace, but we show amazing grace by the way we live our lives. Now, I'll ask. You don't have to say out loud. Please don't raise your hand. But I wonder, how many of you would admit that you have some growing to do spiritually? I might as well ask for a raise of hands. Would anybody admit, two or three of you? Yeah, a couple of you. Sure. We have some growing to do spiritually. How do you know if you do? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Galatians 5, uh, verses like 21 and following, give us the evidence of spiritual fruit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, discipline. Against such there is no law. And so one way we can know where we need to grow is just by looking at that list. This past week, were you perfectly loving towards your spouse? I mean, you perfectly, you sacrificed for them, you tried to meet their needs, you tried to love them and their love language. If not, and I'm in that group, then may God help us to grow in our love. What about our our goodness What about our humility? You say, Pastor, I don't need to grow in my humility. I have that licked. Well, you might want to go back and check on that. (laughs) Your discipline, your faith. God wants to create us into a new people. I know times are hard. Times are especially hard this morning for Ohio State fans. It's very, very hard. (laughs) But even in hard times, God invites us to be light. If we, sh- if we don't have anything to show, we'll never be the witness God's invited us to be. 
He invites us to know him. His will is for us to show him. But number three, his will, according to verse 11, is for us to uh, not only know and show. I forgot the third point. Let's find it here. And two, you can put it up on the screen. (laughs) To trust him. There we go. God's will is to trust him. Maybe they'll use the other video online this week. Verse 11. (laughs) May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Number three, it is God's will for us to trust him. Literally, verse 11 can be translated this way. If you are a believer, you've been empowered with all power, invigorated with all vigor, strengthened by the greatest strength imaginable. God says we have this power within us. If you're taking notes, you want to write down Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. In Ephesians 1, he connects this power to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He says that the same power that the Father used to bring about the resurrection of Jesus is the same power that's available to you and to me, the spiritual energy. Now, spiritual power wasn't foreign. It was, under, it was common uh, to the Greco-Roman world. They believed that if they had the right idols, they would have specific powers. They believed if they had the right chants and rituals, that they would have a certain amount of spiritual power. And so Paul knows he's writing to this Greco-Roman audience and saying, you understand, you think you understand spiritual power, but the spiritual power I'm speaking of is the power of Christ's resurrection. When we believe, when we trust in the resurrection of Christ, it brings an endurance and a patience. In verse 11, the endurance and patience are near synonyms. The goal for these two words doesn't seem to be for us to define how different they are from each other, but the goal seems to show that if we have the hope of heaven, we'll have an endurance and patience now. This past week, I read about Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was invited back to his alma mater to speak uh, shortly before his death. He had lived a full life. He had been there and had led England through some turbulent times when they really thought uh, that they were going to be blown off the map. And so here he is in his retirement years, peaceful years. He stands up at his alma mater to speak, and people waited to hear every word. They thought he was going to give a long speech, but come to find out his speech was few in words. He said, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Three more times he said, never, never, never give up. He turned around and he walked back to his seat. And the Bible calls you and me through more power than Winston Churchill ever experienced physically to never, ever, ever give up. Paul writes and says, because Jesus has risen from the grave, you don't have to quit. 
We joke about football and we joke about having a hard week, but I realize there are many of you here and you've had a horrible, not day, not month, you've had a horrible season, maybe a horrible year or number of years. Some of you have lost your husband this year. You've lost a wife this year. Some of you got a diagnosis of cancer this year. Some of you had a, a child make some really, really bad decisions, and it broke your heart this year. Some of you lost your job this year. Some of you right now are watching and looking and following on, on Facebook the news of the hurricane and the earthquakes this year. This faith isn't just for church on Sunday, but this endurance is for life on Monday. And the promise of hope of Colossians is that Jesus has risen from the grave. And so you can take the next step, however hard it may be, because Christ is already there. Christ lives within you. And the patience and endurance comes from him, not from yourself. I love how Paul finishes, really, verse 11. Some believe it's tied to verse 12. Either way, he says not just endurance and patience, but endurance and patience with joy. Even the Stoics understood endurance and patience. They understood what it was like to get, get grit your teeth and dig in. But Paul says that's not the endurance I'm talking about. I'm talking about one that you do with joy. That's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. I'm convinced that an unbeliever can be just as tough as a believer. I know a lot of unsaved people that are really, really tough. They've got a great constitution. But there's no eternal joy without Christ. And there's something about walking through... Some of you are more of a testimony to me than I'll ever be to you because I know what you're walking through this week. And the joy that you have and the love that you have and this inner peace that you have isn't something you can make up. It's a joy that only comes from Christ. Some of you tell me that the harder the trials, the more God works this joy in your heart. It's kind of the way we all experience any kind of, maybe like an athletic event. Last weekend we had the distance run, and a number of us from the church finished the run. We're all down at the Laidley Field. We're drinking Gatorade. We're high-fiving. We're even hugging, you know, slobber and slime, and we're hugging and all that kind of stuff. Germs just go out the window when you're on a team. Dwayne, you know that. Uh, they just kind of go out the window. Would we be down at Laidley Field on Saturday morning high-fiving and drinking Gatorade and hugging without an event, without a race, without a struggle? And the answer is no. That would be actually kind of weird, right? Like, hey, I just call up all my friends and say, hey, meet me down at Laidley. We're going to drink Gatorade together. We're going to hug, give high fives. You know, it's going to be great. Join us. That would be super weird. Why would it be weird? Because without the struggle, the joy doesn't make any sense. But when you finish the race and you're tired together, and you struggled together, and you cried together, and you're bleeding in places you shouldn't be bleeding, and you, you have fought the fight, all of a sudden the joy makes sense. 
Let me declare to you as the church of the living God that one day the joy is going to make sense because the struggle is going to make sense. When Jesus says, you will rise again, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know that in some way it will be worth it all when we see Christ. This is the joy that Christians have. It's not a fake I don't need to suffer. I can have eternal prosperity. That's not worth it. It's, a, it's an inward joy. And some of you have it. And if you don't have it, let me invite you to put your faith and trust in the one who paid for you to have it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day, ask him to save you right there where you sit. I'll pray at the end of our service and give you the opportunity to accept Christ. That's where joy begins. What is God's will for our lives? It's that we know him, that we show him, that we trust him, and lastly, that we thank him. In verse 12, he says, this fourth and last participle, this emphasis, he says, thinking, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This idea of thanking God. God wants them to have a thankful heart. They have the same inheritance. They have the inheritance of God's people. Paul uses a Jewish concept here in verse 12. The Jews that were a part of this church intermingled with the Gentiles. The Jews understood what inheritance was about. For when their ancestors came into the promised land, they divided up the land. And so they had a, an inheritance. And Paul writes, just like he did to the Romans, and he says, Hey, you Gentiles, you've been grafted in. You are now part of the people of God. You have been grafted in with these Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Now there's just followers of Jesus. And he says in verse 11 or verse 12, you have an inheritance, but it's not just a land. You have an inheritance that's eternal. Then he says light. Uh, you have an inheritance of the saints in light. You've been enlightened. You've been illuminated. And I love what it says at the end of middle of verse 12. You've been qualified to share in this inheritance. We became followers of Jesus not because of our good works and not because we were so smart to choose Christ, but in some way I don't fully understand, we became followers of Jesus because of his grace and his grace alone. Anybody who thinks they're a Christian because they're smart enough to be a Christian probably isn't a Christian. But we come to faith in Jesus by his grace, believing in the good news of the gospel. And God makes us qualified. We don't make ourselves qualified. And so we ask, lastly, why should I come care so much about God's will? Why should this be such a concern for me? And the answer is in verses 13 and 14, and it's simple. Because Christ is victorious, Christ has already won. Because Christ is victorious... Christ has already won. Look with me at verse 13. Paul writes, 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, verse 14, the forgiveness of sins. Verses 13 and 14 are designed to answer the why. We've talked about the what, what is God's will, but why should we care? How does this relate to your job tomorrow, to your family this afternoon, to your friends? How does this relate? Well, the why is the fact that God tells the Colossians and us that Christ is victorious. This is more than just forgiveness. Christ is the victor of a cosmic conflict to reconcile all things to himself. At the cross, Jesus didn't just wipe our sins away, but at the cross, Jesus won a victory over the kingdom of darkness. He says, delivered us from the power of darkness and has transferred us into a new kingdom. So we were like, like a Narnia where it's always winter and never Christmas. Now we've been transferred into a new kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. And we have two things. We have redemption and we have forgiveness. The word redemption means ransom. It means we've been bought from slavery just as God bought his people out of Egypt and brought them through the wilderness to victory, God has brought us out of our sin and brought us into a place of victory. We have forgiveness of our sins. Every sin that you have ever committed or will commit is completely paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ and God says our responsibility is just to believe. You know, early in my Christian life, I thought that all of my sins I had committed before I became a Christian were gone. But it was up to me to make sure that I get all my sins forgiven after I became a Christian. I thought that was the purpose of communion, right? Like, so you, you, you're forgiven, the slate is wiped clean before the cross, before salvation. But after salvation, you know, it's really up to you to keep a clean account, but you know, nowhere is that ever taught in the scriptures. God tells us in 1 John 1, 9, the essence is the fact that we confess our sins is just evidence that he has already forgiven our sins. The entire book of Hebrews says he has forgiven you forever. There is never a sin you will ever commit again that will ever be held against you by God if you have put your faith and trust in Christ. You say, but Pastor Matt, don't you think that's going to cause Christians to have a license to sin? I think Christians actually are doing pretty well without a license, if you ask me. You see, if I preach the message that you have to keep God angry with you, and if you're a believer, he's mad at you, and you better straighten up or God is going to hate you tomorrow more than he hates you today. That's the message of Christianity in America for the last 200 years. And it's not doing any good. But Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me. If you believe that he sees you just as righteous as he sees Jesus Christ, and nothing you will ever do will send you to hell if your faith is in Christ. And nothing you will ever do will cause him not to love you. All of a sudden, you can leave the service and say, wait a minute. If that's true, I want to serve a king like that. And I never again want to serve a king like that. 
The love of Christ constrains us. This is the message of Colossians. He has won the fight, so you don't have to. What's the main encouragement? main encouragement is simply this. This morning, I want to invite you to take one step, just one step to walk in God's will this fall. Take one step to walk in God's will this fall. What might that look like for you? Maybe for you, it's reading through the book of Colossians. Just saying, you know, every day I'm going to start reading through the book of Colossians. If that's God's step for you, that's a great step to take. But be thinking here in the next couple of minutes before we pray and leave. Maybe your step is to try to attend every Sunday in September and October. Maybe it's not every Sunday, your work or a schedule, but you say, you know, I usually come once a month. I think I'll try to come twice a month. I usually come twice a month. I think I'm going to try to come three times a month. Maybe that's your next step. The next step that God's invited me to take is on the screen. Uh, Even as the leader and the preacher of this series, I want to take the step of going through this book, this devotional book. Pastor Mike Graham, our new pastor of Group Life, has put this together. It's also on the app and it's online. Instead of doing take fives that we used to do in in the bulletin, uh, for the month of September and October, we're taking a break from take fives, and we're going to like take 20, take 15, however long you want to take. I'm walking through this. I invite you to do the same thing. We've ordered 450 of them. More of them are out there on the table. Uh, if we run out, we'll order more. But again, you can also get it online or on the app. Just a series of questions to walk through by yourself, maybe with a friend, with a spouse, uh, with a coworker on your lunch break. Maybe your, last, your next step is just jumping into a group. Our groups launch next Sunday. And in the bulletin, you can see all the different groups uh, that are open. There's a lot open, many more that aren't even listed that are already at capacity. If you're looking for a group, check out the areas around town. There's an awesome map on our website. You can see it again on the app where you can jump into a group. Whatever it is, remember God's will for your life is to walk worthy of the Lord. His will for your life is to know Him. His will for your life is to show Him. His will for your life is to trust Him and to thank Him. God invites you into this walk because He has already won the war. So this fall, take one more step to know God's will more than ever before. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for my church family. And I pray that you would call us back to meat and potatoes, Christian living, that we will just take that next step, whatever that is. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe your next step is to put your faith and trust in Christ. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. Words don't save you. But in your heart, if you're ready to believe in the risen Christ, as your Lord and Savior, let me invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself, but I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again the third day. Come into my life. Make me a Christian. Show me how to start following Jesus. 
If you prayed that prayer, let me invite you to let us know. I'll be out in the gathering space. Our pastors will be all around the building. Drop me a note on Facebook. Send me an email. Let us know. Pastor Matt, I prayed that prayer. I want to begin to grow as a Christian. That's why we're here. We would love to help. Father, as we close out our service, in just a moment, I ask that you would help us to go out knowing what our next step is. If it's jumping into the book of Colossians, if it's attending more frequently, if it's jumping into the Bible study, if it's jumping into a group, I pray we would take that one step so that this time next year we could look back at an amazing year of growth in our own hearts. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.